Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In Luke chapter 4, it is striking that the text refers to the opponent of Jesus not as Satan, the obstacle or roadblock of the gospel, but as the deceiver, the devil. It's easy to dismiss this as poetic license or other such nonsense, but that is the point in the discussion when your English teacher, if she was worth her salt, would have dismissed you as lazy. The devil is not trying to block Jesus. He is trying to help him evolve into something greater. He wants to help Jesus achieve that for which every human being pines. He wants Jesus to grasp equality with God, achieve heights, seize power, to attain glory. So he tells Jesus a lie. It is not Elohim who provides shelter for you, but you who shelters him. Luckily, Jesus is not a member of your parish council nor does he host symposiums on temple growth, development, and expansion. He just places his trust in the shelter of the Most High, abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, Elohim, the only God whom he trusts. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 493 of the Bible as Literature podcast. It is counterintuitive, but absolutely essential to keep insisting upon scripture's counter-narrative. I say counter-narrative because in the way of speaking, in the manner of speaking and thinking that is widely accepted by all culturally, where we reside, where we are found today, everyone acts according to what they call a personal narrative. And in that narrative that they construct, which is anti-scriptural. The personal narrative is anti-scriptural because you're building your own God, which is self-referential. You construct with your own hands the story of your progression, where you're going in your life, where you're headed. And in that story, you build something you end up somewhere in what you call your personal life. Scripture would never speak that way because life is the domain of God. It's his purview. But from the perspective of your narrative, it's your life. 
So in that reality coming out of the story you construct, you build a place for you to live. You put a covering over your head, a shelter. But in Scripture, God provides the covering. He is the covering and the protection. And the devil, the deceiver, and we've been trying to avoid using the word Satan in this section of Luke, because Luke uses the word deceiver, not obstacle. He specifically uses the word diavolos because the deception is a play on the concepts that I'm trying to lay out this week at the beginning of the program. The deceiver wants Jesus to worry about who's going to provide, where the shelter is going to come from, what's going to cover his head, what happens if you fall in the wilderness, who will take care of you. That's the game, if you will, that the deceiver is trying to play on Jesus in this test that he's laying out where he's pushing him constantly to try to reach for the throne, which we know from the letters of Paul, Jesus will never grasp at. It's written that Jesus did not grasp at power the way that Saul and David and Solomon and others constantly grasped at power. All of the kings of the earth then and now have always considered equality with God a thing to be grasped. Everyone except Jesus treated equality with God as something to be reached for. And this is exactly what the devil here is hoping Jesus will do, reach for it. So now finally, in this game that the devil is playing, what is the pinnacle of all of this? It's the temple. And I find it interesting, Richard, that as we come to this pinnacle, he twists this most important text that deals with this very issue of who is providing cover for whom by invoking Psalm 91 against Jesus which turns out to be a big mistake. In the beginning, he says, well, if you're the son of God, you should be self-sufficient. You should be able to create food out of stones. You don't need God to produce food for you. Now that you're the son of God, you should have everything you need to be self-sufficient. And he says, no, I have to be dependent on the word of my father. And then he says, if you want exousia, authority, and glory, bow down to me, I can give it to you. Bow down to someone besides God, and you can get glory and authority. And Jesus says, no, I only bow down to my Father. And we're going to see that it's, again, the devil who puts a condition on what this Son of God means. If you're the Son of God, then you should be able to. And this one is about protecting his own life. You should be self-sufficient, you should be able to bow down to whoever you want to, and you should be able to keep yourself alive. That's what it means to be Son of God, no? That's what it means to be God, not Son of God. <laughs> this is the difference. 
because you're the son of God does not make you God. Being the son of God means you are begotten of the father. It means you are never without the father. You are never an individual. You are always dependent on that one who begot you. That's what the devil is trying to move around. He's trying to make Jesus a self-sufficient individual who can take care of himself, who can take authority and glory and become a strong leader and lead according to his will because he has the will to lead and he wants to help society and he wants to do the right thing. And Jesus stubbornly insists that it's not about his will, that it's not about him being the son of God, but it's about the one who declares him son of God. Big difference. Because only the one who declares him son of God holds all authority and glory in his hand. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. So I'm going to stop here because, as we said at the outset of today's program, the devil is invoking Psalm 91. Now, there's a couple of interesting features about verse 9 and 10. In Psalm 91, which is a psalm about shepherding, it's the setting for life in the wilderness, we hear the story of the one who dwells, which is the shepherd in the wilderness, who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and who abides in the shadow of the Almighty. This one says to Yahweh, you are my refuge and my fortress. So we are away from the institutional centers of human civilization. It also alludes to the story of Exodus. You are away from the cities of Egypt. You are away from Pharaoh in the wilderness, which is itself a shepherding metaphor. Remember, Moses and Jethro were shepherds. You are outside in the middle of nowhere. So your only covering and protection is from the one who dwells above my God in whom I trust. And then later in the Psalm, it says in verse nine, for you have made Yahweh my refuge, even the most high, my dwelling place. So the context here, before we get to the verse that the devil is invoking, is that it's Yahweh, your Elohim, your functional Elohim, who is the one who provides the cover, which reminds me once again of the tent of meeting in the wilderness where the tent covers the tabernacle, but it's actually the tabernacle that covers the tent. It's that play on language, that undepictable metaphor. 
And here in Psalm 91, it's Yahweh who is the refuge and the cover, the Yahweh who is the fortress and the shelter. There's no building. And now the deceiver is really trying to pull one over on Jesus because he brings Jesus and puts him on top of the building. And then he invokes this psalm. So he's trying to get Jesus to commit blasphemy against Elohim. It is nasty, the game the devil is playing. He is trying to get Jesus to put himself above his father. He is trying to force Jesus to do what Saul, David, Solomon, and every other bloody son of God who was just another Ben-Adam has done from the very beginning. He wants Jesus to grasp at equality with Elohim for the love of a bloody building. But of course, Jesus doesn't fall for it. Here, the devil, when he quotes this, he quotes it severely out of context. And why do I say severely? Because out of context is always doing violence to the text. In you whom I trust comes before this. I trust first, and then I get this protection. I trust that I will get this protection. That's what that means. And what the devil is saying is, jump off and see if he protects you. What is there to see? I just said, I trust in him, if I take the entire context of Psalm 91. If I make a big step and I trust, I'm not worried. But if it's not on the path, why would I make that step anyway? Because I'm just walking on the path that God has laid in front of me. So if I'm walking the path that God laid in front of me because I trust in him, as the one who provides the bread, who provides all authority and glory as he sees fit according to his will, then I just walk along the path. And if there's a stone along his path, I'm assuming that the stone is along his path. It's not an accident. This is the king's way. Now, if I decide to go and walk around wherever I feel like, and I run into a stone, then that's my own problem. I created my own scandalone, my own stumbling block, because I left the path, because I didn't trust in the path that God laid out. Not so that everyone can do whatever they want. Trust in God in order to follow the provider's will, to follow the Father's will. This is the point. By the devil taking this out of context, and I'm glad you read the entire context, Father, because it really shows the kind of violence that the devil does. And unfortunately, I hear this technique used much more often by people who are not the devil than people who are actually the devil in Scripture, because this is what happens all the time. Well, if God, then this. No, 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 no. If you trust in God, then this. But God is the reference. It's just shocking to me that he put Jesus on top of the building and referred to a psalm 
in which Yahweh your Elohim is the one who is the shelter. It is such a devious plot. I mean, such a devious plot here in Luke that the devil is playing in his use of this text. And I'm certain people don't pick up on this because they're hung up on this very shallow play on trust. Do you trust that God will give you a Tesla if you really believe in him? That's the level of people's handling of this text, which is what you were referring to a minute ago, Rich. Do you trust God? Do you trust that God will heal your cancer in this season? Are you kidding me? This is about whether or not you accept that God is your reference and not the bloody temple. That's what's at stake. Do you accept that God in the heavens, which is the teaching of the Psalter? I mean, there are no numbered Psalms. It's the Psalter. The numbering of the Psalms is something that came much later. So in the Psalms, in the Psalter, it's very clear that your God is in the heavens. Do you accept that this one who is your shelter and your refuge is your temple, is your tabernacle? Or do you really think you with your personal narrative are the builder of a house and a temple and a city? And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Are you the reference Jesus? Or is it your father in the heavens? That's the real question. That's how the devil, the deceiver, is twisting the psalm. The psalm is saying, your father in the heavens is God. The devil is asking, is it really your father in the heavens who's the reference? Or is it you, Jesus, who I have placed as the cover above the temple of stone? Because someone drawing a picture of this in church school who thinks they agree with scripture would say, see how Jesus covers the temple? He's our covering in the heavens, Father Mark. And then you draw an icon of it. Whereas you can't draw an icon of the tabernacle in the tent of meeting in Exodus. That's how the devil has you cornered, but he can't corner Jesus. Lest any time you should dash your foot against a stone, as if this is God's job now. God's job is to protect your feet so you don't hit any stones. And since that's going to keep him too busy, that's why he's got angels employed for him to just make sure everybody's feet are okay. This is the absurdity of the statement when taken out of context. But this is the trust. The trust is that God is going to take care of what he's going to take care of, and his end is always going to be met. And I trust in this. And in Hebrews, it talks about the promise. And this is the point of the believer is to believe in the promise of God. It's about believing in the promise of God. The promise of God is that this is what's going to happen. And that's what you believe. And so you walk as if, you know, you run into a stone 
that God is going to make sure the path is still walkable because you're still following the path. And if you run against a stone, that must be God's will as well. And if God doesn't want you to hit a stone that's in the middle of the path, he will send an angel to pick you up and put you on the other side of the stone if he wants. But it's not your job to see if, oh, let me go see how many stones I can find to see how often God is going to save me from stones. That's not God's job. This is the weird thing. People think that, like you said, oh, well, I got cancer. Well, I guess it's God's job to remove my cancer. No, it's not. It's your job to be faithful, whether you got cancer or you don't have cancer. Nothing changed except you got cancer. Now that sounds big, but if the reference point is God, God didn't change. Your cells changed. All of a sudden you got this mutation in your DNA that took over. That's all that changed, but your faith can't change. And that's why it's called a test when it comes to human beings to see, do you trust? Are you going to trust even when you're faced with a stone? Are you going to sit around and wait for an angel to move the stone or move you? Or do you just assume that this is part of the path? When you're trusting that you're on God's path because you are listening and following his word, then that's when you have nothing to fear. Because as you said, Father, God is your only protection. I was just in Phoenix a couple weeks ago when it was 115 degrees. I didn't want to wait outside. But, you know, the shepherd in the Syrian wilderness gets up to 115 degrees, no problem in the Syrian wilderness, and you move along with God as your shelter. That's what that means. You do not build a stone-insulated building with air conditioner so that you can provide comfort and shelter for yourself. That's not how it works. Always the challenge is whether we will be faithful, not whether God really meant it when he said to Jesus, Son of God. That's taboo. You don't ask that question. And the devil is trying to trick Jesus into asking that question. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.